Hello and welcome to Logos in Life Community Church, where the revelation of God's Word meets life application, where you have the freedom to worship and serve. If you ever find yourself in Shreveport, Louisiana, we would love for you to join us. But for now, join us for a message that is already in progress. I'm reading out of the ESV version on Romans chapter 12, verse 12. And it reads simply, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Amen? For the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord shall remain always. We're going to talk today about being an everyday Christian, an everyday Christian. Many of us don't have a problem being a Christian on Sundays. We don't even cuss on Sundays because that is the Lord's day. So we hold up cuss words on Sunday that we freely use on Monday, but I'm an everyday Christian, not just a Christian that's coming looking to give God his all on Sundays, and then we run out of juice on Mondays, we are just thirsty on Tuesday, and then we show up, some of us, on Wednesdays to get refueled, to see what we can do, and to see how I can make it. Pastor, give me another word, and we live from Sunday to Sunday, but Paul wants us to be the everyday Christians, not just the Sunday Christian, but a Christian at work on Monday, a Christian at work on Tuesday, a Christian in chaos on Wednesday. Can you still be a Christian every day and in every way? In Paul's epistles, Paul always shows us three things. He'll show us who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. In every epistle, he'll say, let us know that Jesus is God. Jesus is the son of God. He was the one sent as God. He was the word that became God, that he is God. He also lets us know what Jesus has done, that he died on the cross, that he paid for our sins, and that the blood that was shed on the cross, that all of that grace work will allow us to see a glorious work. That grace work will allow us to see a glorious work. So Paul always lets us know who Jesus is and what Jesus did. He also lets us know who we were before Christ, who we are in Christ, and what Christ is expecting out of us. He lets us know that we were dead in sin before Christ. He let us know that we had no hope before Christ. He let us know that before Christ, we had no promise, we had no God, we had no hope. That was who we were before Christ, but since Christ, since we are, see right here, everybody should be excited right now that I used to be that before Christ, you know, the BC. Now I'm in Christ. I'm the IC. I'm in Christ now. And what happens is everything that I was without Christ, I'm no longer that in Christ. See, I was dead in sin, but now I'm alive in Christ. I once had no hope, no promise, and no God, but in Christ, I have a hope, I have a promise, and I have a God. But then he also goes on by letting us know what's expected out of us. Oftentimes in Paul's epistles, Paul is concerned about our daily walk. He'll tell us to walk in a manner worthy of the call, walk in a manner that God has, has called us for. So he mentions that many times. So we're not just who we were and who we are in Christ, but there is an expected lifestyle from us. Not because we're better, but because we're new. 
It's like we treat new stuff totally different than we do old stuff. Old stuff, you know, when the house get old, everybody can wear shoes in it. But when you first got it, there was a box at the door, and we asked everybody to put your shoes at the door until the house got common. Now, there's never a time in our Christian life that your life should get common, not if Jesus paid the price. Amen? So Paul shows us through three things, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Paul shows us who we are, who we were before Christ, who we are in Christ, and what's expected out of us. Amen. But he'll always reveal to us who our enemy is and the plan of the enemy. He lets us know that as soon as you leave, the enemy's coming with some false teachings. The enemy is coming to change your mind and trying to teach you another gospel. These are the things that Paul lets us know in every epistle. Even though this is just one piece of this long text in Romans 12, I think it has a lot of meat. This is what Paul wants to reveal to us, that God holds our future. Number two, God is worth waiting for. God holds our future. God is worth waiting for, and God wants to be involved. Paul is trying to show us that the everyday Christian understands that God holds our future. Say, God holds our future. God is worth waiting for, and God wants to be involved. These are everyday things. God has our future every day. God is worth waiting for every day, and God wants to be involved every day. Paul opens chapter 12 by addressing their daily living, by addressing their daily decisions, by addressing how they handle daily issues. Romans 12 and 1, he tells them that we ought to present our body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Paul, first of all, is setting the premise for chapter 12. That I, we have to live in such a way that we can offer our life up to God and God would be pleased with it. Well, let me help you right here. He's not saying live this way so you can be saved. He's saying live in this way because you have been saved, because you are saved. Us doing something is not so we can be, it's because we are. So he's saying that the only way we are to live a life that God is pleased with is that we cannot continue to respond like the world. We can't let the pandemic throw us into panic like the world. We can't let financial decline throw us in panic like the world. We should not allow distractions and destructions make us respond like the world does. And he says, and the only way you can change how you respond, the only way not to be conformed to this world is that your stinking thinking has to change. He says that do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying that the reason why we act a certain way is not because we're better. It's because we're different. It's not because we're better. It's because we're new. And so I'm not responding this way because I think I'm better than the world. I'm not responding this way because I feel all a certain type of way. No, I am responding this way because I'm new. I'm responding this way because I'm different. And the only way to respond different is to change what controls my response. That's my stinking thinking. That's my thought process. 
So here we are down to verse 12 where Paul has made it to Rome and he's teaching in Rome and he's telling them, because you got to remember in Acts, Paul had a long trip to Rome. He was shipwrecked. He was on Malta. He was beaten. He was doing all types of stuff, but he had to go to see the Caesar to go and plead his case. But now Paul didn't go there to plead his case. Paul went there truly to preach the gospel because they had not heard the gospel. And now he is in Rome. You do know Rome is the longest letter of Paul. He had more, not that he just had more to do there, but there was a time where the things that he was preaching, people wasn't catching. They was like, uh, is that really true? Or can I really hold that to find that it's true? Uh, did Jesus really do that? Was he really the one sent by God? I know what you said, but I hear what they're saying. And Paul tells them in the face of difficulty, because that's what they're feeling right now. This is not a good time or a good day for them. He's saying rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Boy, I see right there, I'm trying to show you how to be an everyday Christian. Can we just look at first, our first point, rejoice in hope. And in some verses, in, in some versions, it says joyous in hope. Can you truly be joyous in hope? Well, let me first tell you that hope is not an aimless wish. Hope is a confidence expectation. I'm not hoping in something that I don't know going to happen or don't wish or don't wonder. No, my hope is confident. I am hoping as though I have it because I know what he said and I'm taking him at his word. Remember last week, it's the word for me. And when it's the word for you, you can take him at his. Hello, somebody. Hope. The Christian hope is the hope which has seen everything, endured everything, and it's still not despaired because they believe in God. Oh, somebody say that I've seen it all. Somebody say that I've experienced it all. You know how when we begin to tell our children what we've gone through and you watch them go through the same thing we get through and then you tell them that, hey, I didn't been down that road. I got the T-shirt and I made it out. But how did you make it out? I didn't make it out on my effort. I made it out because I believe in what God said. Can you believe what God says about your future? We got to remember, he's saying be joyous in hope. Hope is never about where you are now. Hope is about what you're looking for. Hope is a lifter. Hope has the power to lift you above your present so you can see your future clearly. Faith is the substance of things hope for. And the reason why I can still have hope is because hope is an elevator. It'll rise me above my present situation so I can clearly see my future. A lot of times we can't see what God has for us because we're so focused in what we're dealing with now. If this pandemic ain't taught us nothing else is that we cannot put our hope in man. It can't put our hope in this world. Many people put their hope in a job and Oh, I got a good job. And we always tell you, go to school, get an education so you can get a good job. And our hope is in our education and our hope is in our finances and our hope is in this job. And then a pandemic will come to show you how much power that job really has. How much potential your education really has. Now, no, 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 no. I'm not telling you not to get an education. I'm not telling you not to get a good job. But what I'm telling you is that all your hope can't be in that. 
God has my future. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 is really talking about death and believing in life. It says that when you grieve, don't be uninformed as those who have no hope. When you grieve about those that are asleep, he's really saying is that when you are presented with something, you cannot respond like those who have no hope. Paul's right here, pastor. Who are those that have no hope? Those that are dead in sin has no hope. Because we learned that in Ephesians 2, that it says that when we was dead in sin, we had no hope, we had no promise, we had no God. But you are saved. You are in Christ. So you have a hope. So if you are a Alive in Christ, stop responding like those that are dead in sin. How about I put it this way? I don't want to say stop responding like them that's dead in sin. Stop responding like you did when you was dead in sin. I don't want to add anybody to your mix. I want to add it's you versus the old you, the new you versus the old you. Who going to show up today? But the new you should show up every day because I'm trying to be a Christian every day. And the way to be a Christian every day is to be joyous in hope. Can we look at Romans 5 and 5? Write these down, and I want you to read them when you get home. Romans 5 and 5, I just want to do the first sentence. It says, and hope does not put us to shame. Let me pause right here. Hope is not designed to put you to shame. And the reason when it says that hope can't put you to shame, it's simply saying that when you hope in the glory of God, it's going to come true. So which means you can sit there and wonder why everybody's looking at you, trying to see why you are not responding like the world. And they kind of make you, oh, man, that's a coat. Why you keep going up there? Oh, why you keep giving when the Bible, when, when your finances look like that? Why you keep hoping and, and why you keep doing all this? And it kind of will make you look shame. But he says that hope will make sure that you are not. Which means that God says his word will not return back to him void. And if he gave the promise, like Joshua said, he's, the, he's faithful to keep all his promises. There's not a promise that God has made that God cannot keep. Hello, somebody. And God loves his word so much that he not only said his word, he became his word. And if you want to stand on your word, can you become, can't nobody become their word but God. And God is saying this is how hope will not put you to shame. He says, because if you are there and you are going through something and you're holding on the hope based on what I told you, whatever I said is going to come to pass. Amen. Romans 8 and 18. Now, this is for right now, for us right now, people. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, can I pause for a moment? I know I'm pausing a lot, but y'all familiar with that. That the suffering of this present time, whatever you're suffering with right now, whether it's financial, whether it's pandemic, whether it's economical, whether it's no matter what it is, family issues, health issues, no matter whatever that suffering is right now. Imagine the depths of your suffering now. Is nothing compared oh, to the glory that will be revealed. That's what hope is. Hope is not about where we are right now. Hope is, is, hope is designed to arise you above where you are so you can see where you're going. How many of you get upset with the layover but forget you got a final destination? Don't get upset because you're stuck in North Carolina. Don't get upset because you're stuck in Houston. You're not going there. It's just a layover. I want to tell somebody today, if you have hope, what you're going through right now feel like a layover. He says, it's not worth comparing with. 
which means it's not even in the same class. He says the the hope that I have for you, the joy that you're going to receive is not even in the same class with the suffering that you see. Oh, we think this suffer. Oh, it's so much. It is so long and all these things, he says, but nothing compares to it's not even worth comparing with the glory. What glory? That Jesus is coming back, that he's coming back to prepare. He's coming back to get us to give to give us what he's prepared for us. Amen. Let's look at Romans 8. I got a lot, 23 through 25. I got to keep flowing. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, for in this hope, we are saved. What hope for the redemption of a body? For us to be in adoption as sons. He says, this is where our hope comes from. And watch this. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. So if you got it right now, you don't have to hope for it. So hope can't be in the present. The devil wants you focused on what you're going on now in the present, hoping it'll preoccupy you to where you can't focus on what God has for you in the future. Verse 25 says, but if we hope for what we do not see, We wait for it with patience, right? Hope has to be accompanied by something. He's not saying have hope and hope. And he's just not saying just have hope. Because God is a full God. He's a whole God, which means he don't just want the action. He want the attitude that come with the action. So he want the action and the attitude. When he talk about being a giver, God in the Bible it says, for he loves a cheerful giver. In the Bible, it tells us that when you give, if you give sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. That's talking about attitude. He calls us to enter into his gate. He didn't just say, God is not just satisfied because you came. No, he's satisfied when you want to come and you're excited about coming and can't nobody prime and pump you. You already shouting, why? I don't know what's gonna happen in service, but I already know what God promised me. See, hey, I can dance by myself, because why? I'm, I'm actually, I'm not dancing by myself. I'm dancing with my hope. Deuteronomy 28 is a book of blessings and curses, but this is where the curse is. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring. Okay, so basically what I'm about to tell you is going to affect you as well as your offspring. Amen? Next verse. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladliness of heart. Can I pause right here for a minute? How many of you, well, let me get on up here to this church. But it wasn't with gladness. Notice it didn't say because you did not serve. No, these are people that did serve. They just wasn't happy about it. How many of you kicked the dog on your but man, I don't feel like get oh my goodness. Let me get on up here. Let me get on up here. Because I don't want to hear that past the mouth. Let me get on up here. Right. You should have stayed home. And just enjoyed your curse at home. Because you came up here for nothing. If you serving him without gladness. Are you not happy and excited to serve the God that sent his son to die for you? How can you not be happy? You were walking into a funeral where a body, a casket there should be holding your body, but it's not. You shouldn't. 
You should be happy with what God has done for you. It's about this little kid and his mother. She was taking him to school. And while they was on their way to school, they was close. She said, oh, son, I got to tell you something. He said, what's that, mom? She said, after I drop you off, I'm going to the store. And then once I leave the store, I'm going to go home and I'm going to prepare something for you. I'm going to prepare your favorite meal. So when you come home from school, your favorite meal is going to be waiting for you for dinner. She said, go and have a wonderful day. Well, now with the little boy, when he got to school, his two favorite parts of school, just like mine, was recess and lunch. Well, it was raining that day, so recess was canceled. And when they got the lunch, it's like somebody blind must have cooked lunch because the, the, um, the tater tots taste like cornbread. I mean, the tater tots taste like cardboard. They had a whole lot of vegetables. The milkman didn't run, so they had water instead of milk. I know he's looking at me like, I don't want to go to that school. <clears throat> and they had fruit for dessert. Who wants that? All the kids with this food, they're eating, they're mad, they're not happy. And then the teacher looks at the end of the table, and there goes little Steve down there shaking his head, eating his fruit, drinking his water. Eating that um, bad-tasting food, drinking his water. And the teacher walked down there and said, what is wrong with you? Nobody is enjoying this food. He said, oh, I'm not enjoying it either. Well, why are you so happy? He says, because I'm not focused on what I'm eating now. He said, but let me tell you what you don't know. Before I got out the car, my mama told me that she was going to prepare something for me. So I'm not looking forward to what I got right now. I'm happy because I know what I got coming up. Thank you, Jesus. He's basically saying, don't allow your present situations to overshadow your future joy. If you're an everyday Christian, we're going to have to learn how to be joyous in hope. And hope is not where you are. Hope is where you're going. Does it still hurt? Yes. Is it still painful? Yes. Is it still discouraging? Yes. Do you still get tired? Yes. But you don't get tired of having hope. You don't get tired of pushing through. You just don't get tired. Why? Because I'm waiting for this hope. And I'm going with a good attitude. I wonder how many people have been disqualified, Steve. They come in here and serve every day. And their service was blocked because of their attitude. Ooh, I wonder how many people go to work and thinking, and the Bible says that you work as though you are working unto the Lord. And now you're going to work supposed to be serving God, but you went there with a bad attitude. Don't worry about how many people that understand that the children that God has given you are a blessing from God and you are supposed to be a blessing or treat that blessing a certain way by way of stewardship, but you don't like taking care of them kids. It, you just, your attitude is bad and your attitude reflects your actions. I don't wonder how many people that's working 80 hours a week that's not getting paid, but they are working thinking they're getting paid. But the Bible says when it's come time to payday, I'm going to say, I never, uh, depart from me, I never knew you. But what about all the work you do? He said, I saw the action, but I also saw your attitude. Don't let your attitude destroy your action. They, that was for somebody. Amen, Pastor Presso. Second thing, be patient in tribulation. It says be patient in tribulations, but it didn't say be patient in temptation. Because trials are from the Lord. 
Trials are what God uses to develop us. Trials are what, and I know what y'all say. Somebody in here been praying, God, make me stronger. He says, okay, here go a trial. No, no, no. I don't want a trial. I just want to be stronger. He says, I know. Basically, if we were in the gym and you want to be stronger, does your trainer add weight on or does he take weight off? No, he adds weight on. Why? Because you want to be stronger. And the only way God can make you stronger is to put you through trials. So if you prayed for strength, look for a trial because it's coming. But you got to be patient. Why? Because it's not temptation. Temptation is what the devil uses to distract you, to destroy you, to derail you, to delay you. But trials is what Jesus used to develop you. Now, is the trial easy? No. Is the trial hard? Yes. But my hope in my future will give me what I need while I'm focused on my future. God is taking care of my present. He's strengthening me in my present that I can continue until my future hope. James 1 verse 2 and 3 talks about that counted all joy when you face various trials, right? James lets us know that trials have a job. Trials have a job to produce some faith. So how can you have faith if you ain't been through nothing? And here I go, Lord, every time I turn around, it's something. He says, oh, you're welcome. Well, God, I want to get stronger, but every time, if it ain't one thing, it's another. Oh, you are welcome, my child. You're welcome. Why? Yeah, you're supposed to be patient in the strengthening. I can't strengthen you in good days. Because on payday, not many people praying. They just happy. But on broke day, you were way out of nowhere. You were will. Oh, yeah, boy, we, we dive deep into the old Lord's then when it's a bad day. Well, God is saying, you know what? I have to use these trials. I have to use difficulty to make you call on me more. I have to use difficulty to make you rely on me more. I have to use dif um, difficulty to make you depend on me more. But can you let the trials do its job? See, when a trial comes, we just want out. Oh, I'm catching here. It's time to get out. But what if you get out of the trial before you learn what you're supposed to learn? And I, I went to Oak Park, so they taught me when you fail a grade, you got to repeat the grade. So if you fail a trial, you probably got to, oh, hello, somebody. Who wants to go through? Anybody in here volunteer to go through their trial again? Thought so. Why not allow this particular trial to strengthen you and teach you what God is trying to teach you so this trial will strengthen you and get you ready for the next trial. Because I will tell you this, right before God promotes you, he'll put you through a trial because he knows you need to be strong. You need to be strong enough because with the next level comes the next devil. Yeah, yeah. Let's look at 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. I got some good news about your trial. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiber trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, before we go to verse 13, I got good news about your trial. It's not new. This is not God picking on you. You're not the first person that heard cancer. You're not the first person that has lost a job. You're not, a you're not the first person that's having trouble in your marriage. But if it's not new, why is that good news? Because that means others have had it and survived it too. So if others can have it and survive it, maybe, okay, verse 13, I went too far. Verse 13, but rejoice. Why? In the trial. 
It ain't new, but rejoice as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He's basically saying, if you can be patient in what you're going through, you will get to what you're hoping for. Number one, it's not new. Number two, it got a job. Isaiah 41 and 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. First of all, not only am I with you, but I'm your God. What's the shout point in that? Because he can be with you and be your enemy. That's who you were when you didn't know Christ. He was still with you, but he was just your enemy. But now he's with you, and he's your, oh my, okay, that's all right. But then he says, as your God, I'm going to do something too. I'm going to strengthen you. With what? Your trial. Not only will I strengthen you, I'm going to help you. Not only will I put you through this trial to make you strong, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to help you carry it. I'm going to see, I'm going to let you see the importance of depending on me. I'm going to let, and I, I asked somebody this question today when um, I was talking to somebody and they said, well, Pastor, it's just heavy on me today. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Um, is it heavy because God gave it to you or is it heavy because you volunteered to carry it? God says, I will help you. Cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. So if you're carrying something and you're saying this tribulation is too heavy, okay, is it self-inflicting or is it God-given? And God says, if I gave it to you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I will put more on you than you can bear. Don't you let people tell you that. And I'm going to put more on you because I need you to trust me. Because if I put it on you and you think you could do it, you won't trust me. And I'm asking you to be patient. I'm asking you to wait. And the reason why I'm asking you to wait is because I'm worth the wait. I'm worth the wait. Why? Because I'm making, you, I'm making something out of you. I'm worth the wait. Why? Because I want to show you I'm your God. I'm worth the wait. God is saying that if you can wait long enough for me and while you're waiting, Focus on your future. I'm going to handle you here and watch. Oh, let me work out what I'm trying to work out with you. We all know Isaiah 40. Y'all like this. Y'all shout. But this is a part of the evidence of what happens when you wait. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he's he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall fall exhausted. But they... The youth, he's trying to say that I don't care how young or how old you are, if you're trying to do this yourself, if you're trying to rely on your own strength, your own strength will run out. But they that wait on me, but they that come and come to me for help, for they that allow me to strengthen them, for they that depend on me, I'm worth the wait. Why? Because I'll renew your strength. If you wait, I'll renew your strength. If you wait, I'll mount you up. If you wait, I'll make sure you don't grow weary. If you wait, you won't faint. Uh, I'm not even looking at the walk and the run and the, and the flying with the wind. No, he's telling me that if we wait, these are the things that happen. This is God saying I'm worth the wait. Number one, if we're going to be a Christian every day, we got to be joyous in hope. That means God has our future. we got to know that. If we're going to be Christians every day, we got to be patient in tribulation, which means God is worth the wait. Last part of this scripture, and I'm done. We must be continuous in prayer. That means God wants to be involved. Amen. 
Many times I've heard it says that when we pray, we need God to intervene or interfere. But when I pray, I need God to be involved. Now, God already knows what's going on. He just want to know, will you involve me? And when you pray, it's your way of involving God in your presence by letting him know you're holding on to what he said about your future. But he says, be continuous in prayer. Now, prayer has two dynamics, consistency and effort. Let's look at consistency first. Philippians 4 and 6 tells us that about everything, pray. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. There is never nothing you shouldn't pray about. I know there's a lot of negatives, but I had, to, I had to put it that way. There is nothing that exists that's just so good or so bad that you should not be praying about. We should be coming or involving God with everything by prayer. How do we involve him? By prayer. Everything we do. Don't be anxious about it, which means don't pick it up and do it yourself. Don't tell God, I got it until you come to work. No, I'm not being anxious. I'm not going to, well, God, you had not showed up yet, so let me go ahead and do it. No, but in everything. By prayer. What? Make your request known to God. How are we going to make God involved? We involve him by making him aware of everything. Wait a minute. Not just the bad stuff, but the good too. We don't need to just pray over the bad things that happen. Can you pray and ask God how to handle the good that happens? Because sometimes we misuse the bad, I mean the good, way more than we misuse the bad. Because with the bad, we don't move until God say move because it's so bad. Unless it get hot, then we move. But when it's good, we barely involve him. Because we say, God, I got it from here. I know I've been through the storm, but I can see the light now. Scooch over. I got it from here. But God is not calling to be involved as your co-pilot. Because if he's the co-pilot, who's flying the plane? So God. Is the plane, the co-pilot, the seats, the wheel, the fuel, all that is God. One thing about prayer in continuous is that we got to continually pray about everything. In Matthew 26 and 41, it says, watch and pray. That you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What, what is he saying right now about continuous prayer? that we don't just pray without being alert. Don't just hit your knees and ramble off some words and get up. No, you gotta still be watchful because if you're not watchful while you're praying, you can fall into temptation. Jesus even tells Peter, I pray that your faith fails you not. Why would you have to say that to somebody? Because oftentimes when we're praying, if we're not watching, if we're not alert, if we're not um, um, focused on what it is God has already promised and we're not strengthened by what we're going through, we will lead ourselves into temptation. Because when we're in temptation, according to the scripture, God says temptation is not of me. Temptation is either from you or the enemy, but it's not for me. He says, I will never use temptation, which is designed to draw you away from me, to strengthen you. Why would I strengthen you in an area that draws you away from me? He says, I use trials, not temptation. First Thessalonians 5 and 17. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. It's easy to pray without ceasing when you pray about everything. A lot of times we don't pray for what we want. We pray for what we don't think we're going to get unless God do something. 
But God is saying, pray about everything. I know what it is you want, but have you prayed about the one? Not the object, but the one. I want a new car. Should your prayer be, God, should I want a new car? Versus, God, I want a new car, show me which one it is. But don't God have to approve the want first? If we're praying about everything, and then once we wait for God to answer, then that means God has blessed it. Then we don't have to do it first and hope he bless it later. If we can just wait on God and just do what he blessed. Are we praying about the wants, the desire, not the object? See, we have an objective prayer. God, I pray for this house right here. I know them people in this house, but this is the house. God, can't you see me in the house, God? The note is right where I can afford it. Oh, God. Right. Oh, yeah, God. Hey, I can still tithe. This is us. This is our house, God. And we are chasing God for the object. But we never go to God to say, should I be looking for a house in the first place? Should I be looking for a job in the first place? I know I hate this job, and these people don't like me on this job. This job is hard. I ain't even go to school for this, and now I'm doing a job I ain't go. This ain't even my degree. I'm paying Sally Mae, and I ain't even doing Sally Mae work. I'm tired of these people up here. It's time for me to leave. That's Satan. He's tempting you with a good time. When God is testing you with some endurance. God is saying is that, I remember when you first got that job, you said I sent you there. But now you want to leave? Never stop praying. Don't just pray for the object. Pray for the demand as well. Amen. Jeremiah 29 and 12. Now, see, everybody like 29 and 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to profit you and not harm you, right? Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will answer you. He's saying that when you understand the plans I have for you, when you understand that I hold your, ho- I hold your future and I'm going to take care of your present, I'm using the present to strengthen you. So when the next thing happens tomorrow, because it's always going to be a present, you will be able to come to me and involve me. And when you involve me, watch this. He says you'll have a 100% answer rate. He says because when you call on me and come to me, that's the surrender. And you pray to me, that's the involve me. Watch this. I will hear you. Oh, ain't that shouting? Ain't that shouting? But the last thing I want to say about being continuous in prayer is not only does it have to be constant, but there's a certain effort that's required in prayer. Some of us do the Jesus wept, and it takes nothing for you to do that. Oh, God is good. God is good. All the time and all the time, God is good. We do all these things that take no effort in prayer. I remember when we had our week of prayer. People that came and actually poured out and actually wept and labored in prayer. When we labor at work, but this labor is not more of a labor like work. It's more like labor as pregnancy. Can you push through the pain and pray? Prayer takes something out of you. It makes makes you empty yourself out. It takes 
effort to labor in prayer. And that's why when the week when we just came to pray, people just say, well, all they doing is praying. Oh, for you to put prayer in the all they doing category just says a lot. But for those that truly came and labored in prayer, they left here exhausted. They left here empty. Because they left everything on the altar into the hands of God. They left their present situation, the pandemic situation, the economic situation, the mask situation, the politician situation, the policies situation. They left all of that and they put it in the entrusted hands of God. They labored. Some of you felt like that you worked out. Sometimes when I preach, I go home and my stomach is cramping and Tamara's like, what's wrong? I said, I feel like I've done a thousand crunches, a thousand sit-ups, like my stomach is hurting. And, and I used to wonder when I was early in my ministry, what was that? And that's because of where it's coming from. Prayer don't come from your lips. It comes from your heart. 2 Corinthians 1 and 11 says this, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted to us through the prayers of many. This is laboring in prayer. Paul is asking the church of Corinth in his second letter to them to say, hey, you must join us in prayer. Not just the speaking of words, but the really labor in prayer. You also hear when people mention the word prayer, they say that I cry out in prayer. They wail in prayer. In prayer, it feels like a grieving because it should pull something out of you, cut something deep in you and pull it all the way to the surface and you give it to God. James says that the fervent prayer of the righteous availed much. Fervent means hot with intensity. How hot is your prayer? How intense is your prayer? Are you doing this hot, intensive prayer, this labor? Are you doing it every day? Is God the first person we talk to? To say, God, I don't know what my day holds, but I know who holds my day. God, I don't know who's going to call my name. I don't know the difficulty I'm going to be faced, but God, I know that I'm holding on to your promise, the promise of your return the promise of your resurrection, the promise of, our, of your relationship with me. God, I'm holding on to that. Despite of what my day may be today, despite of what I may go through today, God, I just consider it all joy that I'm able to go through this in you, that you have nominated me to go through this. Oh, I'm perfect for this storm, God. I'm perfect for this trial, God. Why? Because I'm going to be patient and let you work this out. I'm going to be patient and let you strengthen me through it. And God, while I'm waiting on you, I'm going to be continuous in prayer. I'm not only going to pray consistently, but my effort. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed. But he says, those would not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Let him ask generously without reproach and give it to him. Go to six. 
Let him ask without doubting. Go to seven. But that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. If you come to God without fervency, if you come into him without believing, how are you going to solicit God without effort? How are you going to come in him in prayer without laboring? How are you going to come and not involve him constantly? Remember what the world wants. The world wants us to focus on our present, to fall out with God while we wait, and to fail to involve God. This is their everyday launch. So what we're going to do every day is we're going to be joyous in hope. Why? Because God has our future. We're going to be patient in tribulation. Why? Because God is worth the wait. And last but not least, we're going to be continuous in prayer because God wants to be involved. Thank you so much for allowing us to share the Word of God with you today. If you would like to witness a live presentation of the Word of God, join us for Sunday morning worship at 1045 and Wednesday night at 6 p.m. for Life Lessons. We are located at 8805 Juella Avenue, Suite 121 in Shreveport, Louisiana. We pray the word you received was a blessing and an enhancement to your life. May God continue to bless you is our prayer. See you next time.